When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the collapse in crypto and what that means for you moving forward as somebody who's bought crypto or you're thinking about buying it because, well, it seems like it's such a deal now. Also, rising housing costs, rising mortgage rates. It's been a perfect storm for people who are trying to buy a home right now. I want to tell you how to play today's housing market. That's coming up later. So crypto has lost about 70% of its value in just a few months. If you look at the overall crypto universe, a number of cryptos have gone to zero. Some were frauds. Some were ones that worked on algorithms that their creators thought would really work and really didn't. And then I felt terrible about people who were lending money on these platforms. There were a number of things that seemed to be done in good faith where you were offered an opportunity to earn much more than you could in an FDIC or NCUA-insured savings account or CD. And they were offering these very high rates in many cases up into the mid-teens, where you were essentially lending your crypto to someone else. And many of those organizations have now gone either extinct or at least for now, are insolvent. And so people's money has vanished. They're real money that went into crypto. So I, over the mania of crypto, and I guess it was last fall that we were getting just overwhelmed with questions from people who were trying to jump on crypto. And everywhere I went, people were not talking to me about the weather. They were talking to me about crypto, you know, wherever I would go. Now it's like this mania that has exhausted itself and losses for people. So I want to go back to the advice I gave before and talk about it moving forward. And that is, is crypto just a done thing? No. The underlying concept behind crypto is a sound concept. Um, One of the things that ultimately I hope crypto is able to do is eliminate the massive tax that the big banks impose essentially on moving money around. I mean, it is an absolute abuse of customers the way banks rip you off on moving money, sending money to a relative overseas, 
converting money from one currency to another. This is an area where crypto will have a very solid role to play and hopefully will eliminate the gouge that the banks have been able to use their monopoly position over moving money to have. Um, but as in terms of an investment, crypto was never a sound basis for investment because if the idea of crypto is as an alternative form of payments, an alternative currency, the value should be predictable, reliable, and stable. Crypto instead became a mania that had both legitimate players and illegitimate and had wild swings in value that have continued on the downside of late. Crypto as a function, what's known as blockchain, is a legitimate thing and it will mature over time. I don't want that to be discredited by the Wild West kind of atmosphere that crypto has been. As I said all along, never put any money into crypto. There would be money you would lose sleep over if you lost it. Never put anything more than a small percent of the money you have into crypto because it is such an unreliable marketplace right now. If you think about normal things that you might invest in, the value of them would not go up or down by massive amounts in a single day, single week, or single month. But that is the history with crypto because it is a speculative endeavor at this point. It is not what it ultimately will be, which is a reliable, stable value item. Even people who tried to do stable value have generally failed with crypto because they didn't have sufficient real reserves backing up that stable value. And that's why so many of them have failed or frozen. So yes, crypto is a real thing. Its pioneering phase has been a disaster for most people. Most people who have I hate that even people call it investing because it's not been investing. It's been speculating. Most people who have speculated in crypto have gotten burned really badly. A small number have done well, but most have been burned. And so know that the era we've been in and will continue for a while is not where we're going to end up. And it is a gamble but without being able to take in shows or go to nice restaurants or see the glitz and the lights of a casino district somewhere. But it is a real thing and has legs, just not the way it is today. How many Clark Stinks is that going to generate, Krista? I don't know. I think probably your audience pretty much agrees with you. There, there will be some. Here's a question from Steve in Wisconsin. Hey, Clark, how well should I guard against giving out my driver's license number? 
it seems like this is being asked for more frequently and it's the new like the new alternative unique identifier to your social security number since ssns have been so frequently breached you would want to safeguard your driver's license numbers as much as possible as well do you safeguard your driver's license as much as your social security number and if not what criteria do you use for when to provide it Okay, I'm in shock because I can't recall being asked my driver's license number. Have you been asked for it? Yeah, Yeah. sometimes when I sign up for new services, things like that. Um, Certainly, if you're going to be, obviously, if you're renting a car or anything, you definitely have to give it out. Um, But I have had it a couple of times in the recent past. I'm trying to remember what it was for. Um, Maybe staying in a hotel, um, they wanted it. Um, Well, at a hotel, they want to see your driver's license um, to verify that you are... This was in advance. Like, they had me fill out a form. I thought that was weird. And then some do- and doctor's offices always ask for it. Doctor's too. offices, okay. So let me explain the doctor's office thing. And you can use an alternative form of government-issued ID. Doctor's offices have dealt in hospitals with a big problem of people committing insurance fraud. And they will present themselves as somebody they're not in order to get their medical care for free and then you'll suddenly get those um those benefit statements remember somebody had cosmetic work done for like five thousand dollars and the person it was like a fake and this poor woman got a bill for it remember that one so in the medical field because of all the insurance fraud you have to present a government issued picture id which depending on where you live and other things you can use, what I use as a picture ID, I, I'm in the global entry program for airport security, and I give that card mm. because that doesn't have a number on it that I care about anybody having. And I do that at medical offices instead of my driver's oh, license. Very smart. So there are things you can do instead of it. But other than medical, I'm curious, Steve, if you'll write back in, there are other areas that aren't on our radar where people are asking to see a driver's license as ID. And I love this. This is from Juliana in Alabama. I am an 11-year-old. I have recently done a lemonade stand with my friend, and we made $116 in profit. I'm wondering if I'm able to open a Roth IRA to put my recently captured money soldiers to work. I am definitely not going to put them in and shield the ears of young children annuity, but rather zero charge fidelity funds, she called it. Thank you for keeping me awake on long car rides. Oh, oh, 11 year old Juliana. Juliana. Okay. So that's really funny. Uh, If you're not aware why she said that last comment, it's because I always talk about that. You don't need sleeping pills. If you're having trouble with insomnia, just listen to me for a while and you'll fall straight to sleep. So I think she actually really does listen to you and stays. Well, obviously at 11 that she's asking about the Roth, she knows about the Fidelity Zero funds. She knows not to do annuities. (laughs) So speaking, yes, thank you. So speaking of Fidelity, that's where you should go open your Roth IRA. You got to tow a parent along with you, but $1 is all you need to open that Roth IRA and you can add to it over time. It'll be what's known as a custodial Roth till you're uh, typically either 18 or 21. And then it, you get control of it at that time. And congratulations to you for your success with the lemonade stand and being able to put that money to work and you think about the profit you have, the money you put in, 
how many times that money will double over the decades in that Fidelity fee-free zero fund, total stock market, Fidelity zero total market fund is the one, total index fund is the one you should put the money in from the lemonade stand. And that will become an amazing amount of money when you look 50 plus years down the road. Speaking of 11-year-olds, Philip in California has a comment for another 11-year-old who had written in. I would like to add to your answer to the 11-year-old looking for ways to make money. And Juliana, you might want to do this too. I am a soccer referee, and it's a great way for youth to earn cash. My son started when he was 11, and some days would make $200 refereeing. He also umpired baseball. When he was in seventh grade, he told his mother he no longer needed allowance because he had his own money. He even used his experiences as a referee and umpire for his college application essays. I've mentored many young referees, and it's not only a great way to earn money, but it teaches them responsibility, decision-making, and how to deal with people. That's the truth. There is nationwide shortage of officials in all sports currently, so it's a great opportunity for young people to earn money, stay fit, learn some good life skills, and have fun at the same time. That is the greatest suggestion. Isn't it? I think about how many games are not being able to be played right now in youth leagues because of a shortage of referees, umpires, whatever. And so a kid doing that is a way to earn money. What a brilliant suggestion. That is a definite member of Team Clark Absolutely. with that suggestion. So coming up, biggest thing we deal with, cost of where we live, housing. What do you do right now in this era with home prices in the stratosphere and mortgage rates moving up, up, and away? What do you do? We're going to talk about it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The housing market is brutal 
if you are trying to buy your first home, over the last two years, hearing from so many people who have seen prices go up, up, up and away, and stories from people who bid on multiple houses only to be outbid, the listing price just being a fiction because the price goes higher and higher. I was talking to a friend yesterday who sold a home recently way above the ask price, a ridiculous amount of money. The person who ended up with it was all cash, waived all contingencies, waived inspection, appraisal, everything. I mean, from the second they accepted the offer, the person, the buyer was obligated. I mean, it's a, it's been a hideous time to be a buyer, great, great time to be a seller. And suddenly, I got to tell you, the narrative is changing. There are multiple signs you can see that the narrative is going in a new direction. And this wave of massive increases, I mean, last year, average price of a home across America went up just a little less than 20%. At the same time, mortgage rates this year have gone up quite a bit. That is a double whammy for a home buyer. But what are the signs of optimism? You know, I've always been somebody who in the midst of gloom looks for positive things. And sometimes people will think I'm Pollyanna. And you may feel that as I lay out some of the particulars with the housing market. But I do feel that we are at an inflection point that conditions for first-time home buyers are set to improve. First, I look at the cost of lumber. Lumber, which was a proxy for the overheated housing market, had gone up, 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 up in price. What's lumber done lately? The price has collapsed. There is a sense in the marketplace that the absolute demand for lumber that we have seen is over. Home builders of new construction are reporting in their financials that the backlog of buyers is not like it was. Homes now that they are building are not selling before the first stick comes out of the ground. There is a change in the psychology of the housing market. The irony is And it's accurate. All the news reports about how much more it costs to buy a home per month because of the higher mortgage rates, that is accurate, except what does it ignore? And that's classic economics. We have outrun people's ability to afford what the cost of homes are, what the cost of the loans are, and that by itself will lead to the end of the overheated housing market. Which, by the way, Federal Reserve messed this thing up by keeping rates low for too long, too low for too long, and flooding the economy with too much money. And now the Federal Reserve is playing a game of catch-up. And they want what I'm describing. And, you, and there's an old expression on Wall Street, don't fight the Fed. And so 
now that the Fed is trying to preserve its reputation or get it back for being a good steward of the economy, they're going to do what they can to slow the economy down with enemy number one being the housing market. And so housing affordability is actually going to get better. The era of these ever-rising home prices going up on an average more per month than they usually go up in a year is coming to a close. And what that means is that over time, the home buyers and the home sellers are going to be back in equilibrium. And real estate has some local aspects to it, but the overall picture is going to lead us back to equilibrium. Is it going to mean, as some doomsayers are saying now, that those of us who own homes are going to see the value of our homes collapse into an abyss? No, no, no way. It is not going to happen. The reason is the underlying fundamentals of the housing market do not support that because we don't have what we had 15 years ago, which was an extreme surplus of millions of extra houses. Today, we really are short housing units. Ask anybody housing units, meaning rentals and purchase. Ask anybody who rents an apartment if we have a surplus of apartments. We don't. That's why apartment rents have gone up so much. But the marketplace is going to find equilibrium in inventory of new construction and in the changed economic conditions. There will be spots in the country where there will actually be a softening of prices, meaning lower prices. But the overall will be that prices will get more sluggish. Sellers will not be able to put a home on the market and just sit there and wait, okay, how many offers are we going to get? You want an inspection contingency? No, we're not going to do that. No, let me tell you, it's going to get back to a more normal market. Now, taking out a high interest rate mortgage, when you find a home that's in the price point you've been looking for that you couldn't find before, are you trading one pain for another? Only temporarily. Because mortgage rates go in cycles. And mortgage rates being at higher levels, if the Federal Reserve is successful at its job of getting back to its target of a 2% inflation rate, even if they get back to 3%, not get back to 2 mortgage rates will not stay at stratospheric levels, what feels like stratospheric levels today. And what do you do if you're a homeowner? You refinance. If you buy today at the higher rates, you will have an opportunity later to refinance. The housing market has been abnormal. And what we're going to get to is what economists refer to as normalization or normalizing or various terms like that that economists like to use. In other words, the era of Sellers being able to do whatever they want and buyers just begging, please, may I? That is just about done. Krista? 
Okay, we'll get to some questions now. This first one is about getting a mortgage. It is from Anna in California. She says, I'm currently looking at credit unions to get my mortgage. Would you recommend a specific credit union over the others? I'm a teacher, if that makes a difference. Yeah, so if you go to a teacher uh, credit union available to teachers in your school district or teachers in your area, they may be expert at special finance programs that are available specifically as an incentive to teachers. In California, as you know, um, teachers being able to afford housing as well as other public workers like uh, police, firefighters, etc. There are a number of programs available specifically for you and you're more likely at a uh, teacher-oriented credit union to find that they are aware of those special financing programs. But in terms of uh, credit unions, I love going to credit unions to get quotes on mortgages, generally significantly cheaper than going to a traditional bank. And it's also a great idea for you to go to independents, like a mortgage broker, to get quotes on mortgages and see who offers you the overall best deal, which is not just rate. Remember, you have the other costs, you've got points, each point is 1% of the amount of money you're borrowing. And then you have closing costs. And these things can vary a lot from lender to lender. And you have a right to require that they provide you a form early in the game that shows you what all those costs will be that makes it much easier for you to compare the overall total cost of doing a loan from credit union A, credit union B, credit union C, mortgage broker D, whatever. And you notice none of the alphabet was a bank because bank loans tend to be higher cost in this market, especially from any of the giant monster mega banks. Their mortgage operations are very high overhead operations, and you end up paying that higher overhead as a borrower. Edward in Georgia says, I'm looking to make a change in my career to become a real estate investor. I want to have a large amount of rental properties down the line. I have everything set up, but I'm having trouble locating funding for the first purchase. What are the best ways to fund my first couple of purchases as I get started? So Edward, number one, I wanted to tell you, this is not the best time to be a real estate investor buying rental properties. Even with today's higher rents, it's very hard to make one of the most standard formulas that individual real estate investors use, which is the purchase works if you can buy a property where you can rent it for 1% of the purchase price per month. Meaning, if you buy a place for a quarter million dollars, you got to be able to get $2,500 or more each month in rent. That is a very hard formula to reach right now with the run-up in home prices. It's been typical now that people can only get basically one-half to two-thirds of a cent in rent each month for each dollar in value of the property you buy. So I'm not encouraging people to buy real estate as an investor right now. But if you're able to find properties that fit a formula that you're comfortable with, that will allow you from the get-go to be close to or be cash flow positive, where do you come up with the money? Usually what people do is they have a partner 
when they first start out if their cash flow short, where you do a lot of the work, you locate the property, you maintain it, you find the tenant, you do all the things, and the other person, the person with the money, is your silent partner, silent investor. And the money you make from that starts to establish your ability to buy a property on your own. But it's very, very difficult when you have the desire, but you don't have the funds without a partner to be able to make it work. Now, you can also join, there are a lot of local real estate investor clubs all around the country, and join one, and you can meet people who want to invest or are willing to finance. Generally, when they are willing to finance, though, in a private mortgage, the rates are going to be well above market, and then the economics are really going to have to work for the property it is you've identified that you want to buy. And this is from Mike in Vermont. I recently signed up for a free, no-obligation online financial seminar. You need to provide them with an email address and phone number to register, and I was okay with that. We were also told that we'd be contacted afterwards to see if we wanted to follow up with a personal financial analysis. I got a few emails that I didn't respond to. Recently, I've been getting calls and voicemail messages from a representative of the company, but what really bothers me is that the caller ID appears to be spoofing an address in Vermont, and I know for a fact that they don't have offices in this state. Is this an accepted practice to try to get someone on the phone by making it look like a local call? Seems a little sketchy as a business practice to me, but maybe I'm overanalyzing it. You're not overanalyzing it. People are more likely to answer a call that's a UFO number that is a local recognized area code. And so that is a technique that people use. Spoofing, caller ID spoofing, in theory, is supposed to be a prohibited practice today. It continues. This is an interesting situation because the organization that is soliciting you is a legitimate financial planning outfit. They do operate as a fiduciary but they are a very aggressive marketing organization. They've already made you uncomfortable, Mike, and to me that eliminates them from consideration. Be great if you looked at some of the resources. We've got a list of them on Clark.com looking for legitimate financial advice from an actual fiduciary that somebody legally is required to put you first Looking at uh, Garrett Planning Network, XY Planning, or two organizations that would be a great place to look for people that are actually really local to you, who are people who, if you mesh with them, you like their philosophy, you'd be dealing with legitimate people. It'd be a way for you to find someone who you can trust, who you put to work, working for you. Remember, they are working for you to put your interests first, to build long-term financial security for you. And I hope that as we end today's podcast, that today, like other days, you find the information useful, understandable, and information you can act on. That's our goal. And that's what we do at Clark.com as well, is we post new information for you each and every day for you to take more control of your life, have more financial independence in your life, to not be afraid to go to the mailbox 
and face what may be sitting there in the bills. I want you to have that power. That power starts with knowledge, with you taking that knowledge and putting it to work to have that control to be in charge.